in cultivation of uh, citta, heart, awareness. This is uh, towards the transformation of consciousness. These are powerful ideas. What is consciousness? Um, Is it the same as mind, heart, awareness? What's this? Well, the way that the Buddha used these words, the word consciousness, vijnana, implies a separative quality. The word the suffix or the prefix vi implies some kind of distinction, some separation. Vijnana is that which separates a subject from an object. So in seeing there's a seen and a seer. In hearing there's a heard and a listener and so on. In thinking there's a thoughts and a thinker. There's a thought about and and a thinker. But the uh, there's often a, a struggle between those two polarities. The seer doesn't want to see what they're seeing. They'd like to see something else. They'd like to see more of it. The hearer doesn't want to hear what they're hearing. They'd like to have things quiet. Or they'd like to have it louder or brighter. Yeah. The taster doesn't quite like that taste. They'd like this taste instead. And so on. Well, they like more of that taste. The taste they had yesterday, they'd like to have it again today. And the experience they had yesterday, they'd like to have again today. That uh, lovely mind state that arose two years ago in the retreat, they'd like to go to that again. So, this is then there's a certain frustration and agitation in this normal activity of consciousness which separates subject from object and by and large the average untrained person, the average untrained mind doesn't really uh, look at that paradigm still, instead they're trying to find ways to optimise what they're conscious of you know, to have more agreeable experiences uh, to eliminate the disagreeable yeah. or they may be trying to change themselves so that they become less irritated uh, by disagreeable experiences they take themselves to be an object and refer to themselves and they feel disappointed with themselves uh, and sometimes fed up with themselves and sometimes quite irritated and depressed by themselves so they become an object the subject is doing that to them (laughs) or of course can be a person who feel really proud of themselves and um, on on top of everything what is this self that they are annoyed by set of habits, patterns, behaviours physicality illness health conditions ageing mental capacities or not mood swings that they enjoy or dissonance. So they're referring to particular objects with a sense of this is me, this is mine, I wish it wasn't, I wish it was. And still, though, you know, so it can be quite intense because this particular 
object is the one we can't seem to switch off. We could look another way and see something else. We could turn the music up or turn it down. We don't suppose to quite turn the self off, though. <laughs> so he follows us, <laughs> seemingly. <laughs> and he, what, what is that self? A series of mental phenomena, or physical phenomena, or energetic phenomena, sluggish, tired, really restless and buzzy. What is that? What, and then say, well, what's the relationship to that experience? Start to look at the relationship between the subject and the object. Do you want to be more receptive, patient, equanimous, compassionate towards phenomena, mental phenomena? Psychological phenomena, physical phenomena. We want to really put a lot of energy or attention into purifying that relationship. Mm-hmm. Less demanding, uh, less obsessive. Uh, it's like this, you know. Health is like this, physicality is like this, aging is like this, you know, karma is like this, these are the habits and so forth. Uh, so we start to turn towards them with a different kind of intention, intention of goodwill, willing. So, you know, then you realize within this paradigm there can be a shifting of a fundamental quality called intention, or intent, or impulse. Uh, And these words are that great, uh, exact, but uh, the movement. Uh, so we certainly know what the movement of ill will is like, just pushes away, it resists. You know what the movement of uh, greed is like, grabs, pulls in. Mm-hmm. These are powerfully intense, or chetana, is the Pali word chetana. Chetana. And this is the, the, the source of karma. Karma, action. Action that lays down a residue so that the as, as these actions occur and they become habitual, then a certain residue of negativity gets established. Or a certain residue of uh, searching for gratification gets established and that becomes a track that the mind runs down. These habits become habitual. Uh, and so, well... Therefore, in fact, that so uh, affects it that the, the chitta becomes so uh, habituated around things like uh, irritation or irritability or gratification that even affects the way it sees things. It sees things in terms of, well, I might look at him. <laughs> well, I don't, why is she doing that? You know? <laughs> so we see things with an irrita- irritable mind or an irritable a mind that's easily able to be irritated, fault-finding mind. Uh, unfortunately, this is quite often the, the, the scenario, particularly in high-performance uh, cultures, because one is in, inclined to be, that's not quite right, it should be like that. That could be better than that. If you did it that way, it'd be better, that'd be worse. So the mind gets extremely attuned to degrees of preferability. Which sounds like a good idea, because then you can get the best. 
But we do recognize, as long as there's a best, there's a lot of worst. (laughs) There's only one winner. (laughs) That means that 90% of it is worse than what it could be. And that's the kind of uh, drive that can can, can, uh, motivate or or run through our, our social business performance models. We set up an inclination to find fault with that which is not as good as it could be, whatever that is. And the bar keeps, and the level keeps rising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, it's a sort of a, so there's greed, or gratification, and irritation, and so forth, get established. One thing one has to recognize about a lot of these, uh, these tracks, these sankharas, is they're not necessarily ones that you personally decided upon, you get inducted into it. Your mind gets inducted into it. So we very much get inducted into a perfectionist drive, a excellence, better, could be better drive, that's education. So we call it education. It's induction. <laughs> yeah. It's not just about opening the heart, it's about inducting the mind into you know, better and better. What's wrong with that? Well, uh, compassion, uh, tolerance, acceptance, uh, generosity uh, get missed out. Contentment disappears. Gratitude wanes. Uh, ability to be flexible with a range of experience is, is severely diminished. It's got to be this, otherwise I can't bear it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is all, so some of these, in, these though can be established sort of social or familial models that, okay, you get inducted into, so in a way it's not your fault exactly, but still it's your responsibility because every time you act on that signal, you're in fact deepening that, that that ditch, that rut, that track. So most of us have been inducted into these kinds of models of search for the best uh, and so forth. Um, um, perfectionism, idealism, uh, get what you got and hold on to it as long as you can, accumulate, hoard, uh, so you'll be alright in the future. And that really reduces the capacity for generosity and sharing, doesn't it? I mean, if we all did generosity and sharing, we wouldn't need to hoard anything. <laughs> because, you know, there's a considerable uh, amount of hoarding that goes on, then this diminishes the, the sense of uh, the, the, the sharing in the, in the corporate human domain. Some people, of course, are very generous. So that's the game that we get involved with. So that every time we, if that's not exactly we didn't design that, we all we all have that propensity for those models. Yeah, and this is because of the nature of consciousness. Me, it, therefore, I want that. Me, it, I don't want that. Right. Me, it, 
Well, if I had that, that's good, and I kept it, that'd be even better. <laughs> yeah. So that that's the model. That's the fundamental model of consciousness, which separates the subject from the object, yeah. sets up a basis for acquisition, for resistance, and for accumulation. So then our intentionality uh, moves along that, that, that track in those ways. So the general uh, overall strategy is, well, let's see how good does that feel? If it didn't feel good at all, none of us would do it. But it does feel good, a little bit good, for some of the time, when you actually can get what you want and can resist what you don't want and get away from it. But with some cultivation you realise, yeah, I get away from him, but I don't get away from the feeling of being irritable. Because <laughs> then I get irritated by him. <laughs> or her. <laughs> you know. So then I have dispensed with that object. The essential seed, the juice of irritation, I haven't got away from that at all. In fact, I've, I've magnified it, I've acted upon it. Uh, and so I'm still not feeling good because now I'm getting annoyed by that. Or I got that, which was great, but now I want one of those. Because <laughs> I got this, so what? Now I want one of those. Because <laughs> you can't desire what you already have, can you? <laughs> so it doesn't work. But when you've got that energy of, well, one of those would be nice, you know. Two of them would be even better. <laughs> and so on. <laughs> and so with some introspection you recognise, oh, yeah, it's true, I can kind of, in this model, I can sort of push things around a bit, but I don't get past pushing things around. And this is extreme. Itself is restless, uncomfortable, and it's not that may, may take me to a place of fulfilment, because I've still got these energies running through and okay, I've got rid of that, and I've got that, and I didn't I push that way, but I've still got this in my in myself. And I live with twenty four seven, and he's irritable and grumpy and demanding, <laughs> jealous. <laughs> he's always fantasizing about he wants and couldn't, you know, or remembering things that he didn't like about himself, you know. He says, "I can't get away from this one." Now I look at so. You know, I could try, I could kind of dumb it down, which, uh, of course, people have uh, notable ways of doing that. <laughs> Distraction, you know, fill yourself up with something else to get away from yourself. And the classic, you know, models, distraction, alcohol, drugs, uh, just saturate, binge on food, binge on shopping, binge on media, binge on pornography, Binge, just binge, 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 you know, something that will drown itself. Of course, it doesn't drown for long. Pops up again. This time, worse than before. Because one recognises, you know, it was a bit grubby, wasn't it? Then you eat, you grubby, squalid, addicted fool, binged again, you know. That's so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I better have another drink. <laughs> to get away from it you know where does this cycle end you know where does it end you know 
Yeah. It says, okay, something's, you better turn around and meet this stuff, you know, because you can't run away from your shadow. Eventually you've got to turn around and shine some light on it. What's the light? Well, again, again, is it possible to extend some sense of forgiveness, you know, compassion, tolerance, uh, non-aggression, non-aversion, you know, these, these are phrases that are used. Anything from just the baseline is to not be adding more pain <laughs> to what's already there. <laughs> you know, non-aversion, just okay. So you are a mess, so okay, here we are. We've got to live together. Let's just see what we can do and do something skillful to get some good energy going into this system. And this... Um, Strategy is, yeah, it may sound very mundane, but a lot of Buddhist practice is just that. Just keep doing the good. Uh, And that things you can feel a sense of, yeah, well, yeah, I know. I did a bit of generosity, and that was good. I managed to keep that precept at least least for a day. It's better than nothing. (laughs) 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 Maybe I could try it for another day, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you know? and so we start you know, pulling out a, a friend of mine who had an al- alcoholic problem and, and uh, so then hates himself so much that you know, has to do things to distract from that you know? and some say well, all you have to do is just not pick up the glass you don't have to stop drinking alcohol just don't pick the glass up <laughs> and do it again. And just do it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it till you recognise you're not an alcoholic. You know, for for five seconds you're not an alcoholic, and then for ten seconds you're not an alcoholic, and then for one minute you're not an alcoholic, and then look for a whole morning you weren't an alcoholic. You, know, you can call yourself that, but you're not drinking, are you? So all you've got to do is not pick the glass up. <laughs> and look, there you're not an alcoholic because you're not drinking. How can how if if you're not drinking, you're not an alcoholic, are you? And then gradually working through that, just by that simple medium, just just don't do it now. That's all. Get just a little little finger hold on these powerful habits. Just start then. You know, embed that and see if you can hold a little bit longer in restraint. You know, from blowing your top and losing your temper. And no, look, you're not. At that moment you're 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 not. And of course the the one of the, the uh, what's this called this rather enigmatic phrase and not not self refers to one of the fundamental problems because you think you're an alcoholic. Well, I am an alcoholic. What do alcoholics do? They drink. <laughs> but if you think, I'm not an alcoholic, I just happen to drink. <laughs> and I could stop drinking for one minute. For that one minute, myself is not an alcoholic. I'm a refrainer. I'm a refrainer. I'm someone who refrains from, who tries to refrain from who undertakes to to remember to refrain from and just keeps doing it. And gradually and gradually and gradually 
the alcoholic self becomes shrunk by that shrunk and reduced in intensity and that's the way you nudge through these habits but a lot of this then it's actually you know when it comes down to it it's often feeling those tremendous pulls or pushes towards getting away drowning oneself burying oneself distracting oneself it's feeling those pulls it's okay to feel these pulls is just the way it is it's like that linger and what's happening in your body you feel this driving passion and okay to just relax your shoulders your face your hands your fingers your belly have a cigarette go have a cigarette go have a cigarette go have a cigarette 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 well you know Agitation. Okay, let's just go for a walk. Walk walk along. So keep moving, keep the movement going. This is where you sort of, you know, you can't always do it sitting still. So you walk around, just finding ways in which you can can form living structures, living um, things like walking, sitting, standing, reclining, breathing, chanting. You form a dynamic structure that's able to contain the push and the pull of these strong tendencies. You, know, you can't always do it sitting still. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But you form, you use the living structure, by which I mean your body structure, your sitting, standing, walking, stretching, doing yoga, reclining, whatever, to form a holding, embodied, holding, energetically embodied, holding field around these powerful pushes able to contain them and then contain them begin to as you as you put a cage around this these things these um, phenomena these addictive powerful passionate phenomena you put a cage around it and you start to imbue a sense of non-aversion you're not this you're just someone who's afflicted with this that's more like it you're not, an, you're not a nasty person. You're a being who gets afflicted by your will. Oh, you're not the disease, you're the patient. Oh, that just slightly reframes it, doesn't it? And how does it feel to be afflicted by your will? Oh, not good at all, really. Well, let's get some compassion in there for a sick being. You see, start to nudge these cheetahs of goodwill so this is uh, you know, uh, the general quality of willingness to meet you know, I, I want to meet this, this is metta non-aversion, not turning away from but directly meeting, opening towards the inclining into the, the difficult with an with a intention of please tell me more rather than oh shut up <laughs> go away Please, I want to. I want to hold you in your pain. And this, this is beautiful. Um, you know how something qualities that is much easier towards other people, of course. Other people are suffering. You just you really want to go there. And you're okay. You know you want to get around them. And the person, oh, I'm being a nuisance. I'm a mess. No, no, no. I really want to be with you. Because the quality and compassion has a lovely heartful chitana to it 
doesn't it? You know, it's so sweet and so rich and feels so much better than the, the volition, the intention of ill will, or the intention of, ah, well, that's your problem. <laughs> Dismissiveness. Or, oh, well, you deserve it after all the things you've been doing. <laughs> I told you not to do that, and you went and did it. Now you feel bad, right? <laughs> well, true, but this isn't the time for that. <laughs> this is the time for, oh, yeah, okay, let's just be with that. And you realize just how how marvellous this human capacity to share one's heart with others is. How this makes, you know, this life can be so patchy and, and struggling and irritate, irritable, you know, full of conflict. If we share a heart in that way, I just feel nothing's changed, really. And yet everything's changed because my intention's changed. Yeah. The heart is, this is how heart gets freed body doesn't get freed in that respect heart gets freed through this shifting of intention there's compassion karuna then the quality of uh uh, mudita, the ability to appreciate a sense of uh, empathy, appreciative joy. And this is a beautiful quality because we start first to appreciate the horrible things that aren't happening. <laughs> wow, what a relief! You know, I've got a roof over my head, not getting rained upon. I really appreciate whoever did this. I feel thank you very much. That's great. Good fortune myself I could be in here well I could think I don't like the carpet very much you know it's kind of a bit drab isn't it really I see it, look at this miserable carpet all day long it <laughs> <laughs> bright it would be nice <clears throat> oh people I don't know these people <laughs> oh good fortune nobody's nobody's attacking me nobody's swindling me nobody's doing a number on me oh great you know so there's appreciative gladness for, for the pain isn't here. And then as we start to recollect that also in our own in our own hearts and minds. Well, you know, I didn't beat anybody up. I wanted to, but I didn't. That was good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and then maybe, you know, the sense of, yes, well, that's, that's a sense of restraint. Is, is, oh, that's a relief. I could have got into some serious trouble with that. And then we start to perhaps notice, once your mind is inclined in that way, just like the fault-finding mind can easily, once you set that filter on, you start to see the things you could find wrong. When you put the Mudita, gladness, appreciative mind on, mindset, you start to see the things you could, oh, that's really nice. You know? That was great what she said. That's great what he did. Well, fantastic, you know, somebody at breakfast, it's really beautiful the way they prepared that. It's lovely, you know, they put, you know, just put it nicely, you know, on trays with little flowers. It's so gentle and beautiful, really lovely intention behind it. Oh, I feel uplifted to be in such company. Well, it could be, I don't like the tea here. <laughs> <laughs> Not strong enough. 
<laughs> how you can turn, you know? What do you see? <laughs> Mudita mind, you see the things that you could find glad at. And then you think, I wish I did this more because it makes you so happy. And the beauty of Mudita is that you, you can appreciate somebody else's goodness if you can't appreciate your own. <laughs> so, well, I didn't make much effort today, but he did. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's great to see somebody else. All that energy coming out. I'm really impressed with that. I'm uplifted by it. And then they might then think, well, perhaps I could do something like it. <laughs> so you see, you can bend this intention round within this paradigm of uh, this, that. And the beauty of it is eventually that as you cultivate like that, last one, let's get into that, equanimity, which means that things can come and go, and, you know, so it's not finished yet, but it's like this now, it's not complete yet, it's like this now, and then we're going through an up phase, and that'll change, a down phase, and that'll change, you know, this is very wide field of, of trust and acceptance to allow things to move. And we don't predict and we don't put an end point with equanimity. We don't say, oh, it's all going down, it's going to go down. It's really going down, you know. It's going down. <laughs> it's going down and down. I mean, you know, this is really going down. It's ultimate down. But there isn't an ultimate down. And <laughs> well, it's really going up. We're really making progress here. Upwards, onwards, the new age of Aquarius, dawning and so on. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know, but I think it's probably going to tip again. <laughs> so we don't actually make an end point. We just say, let's abide in this. And then in this abiding in equanimity, we just sort of sense a sort of balance within the realm of change, a stability within the realm of change by non-definition of ends and finalities. It's changing. That, is that true? It is changing, isn't it? So these are not fantasies. How disappointed one can get with that when it was an equanimity. You know, how, how miserable one can get with it. There's no equanimity. These are powerful intentions to, to orient towards, and they are really essential. <clears throat> because then we begin to see whatever the that is that's yeah. You know, whether that is that object, that person, that state, that condition, that's really not something that I can I can deal with directly by shifting it. But if I shift my relationship to it, I'm winning. <laughs> I can feel some sense of the heart brightening. It's difficult, it's annoying, when I can cultivate a sense of Equanimity, it's going to change, patience, and then compassion for the, the chafing that's occurring in the heart, and the quality of giving goodwill to oneself, towards others, and so forth. This, then I can, I can get something out of this situation. I can, I can cultivate. And this, is, this, is, this is fundamentally what you know, the... the <laughs> practice is about forming skillful relationship and then we actually begin to 
more focus on the qualities, the relational qualities, than the entities. See what I mean? Rather than the me and the you, the important thing, because those two are actually not as clear as you think they are. My idea of you and my idea of me are really just fuzzy, not so sure. What I can be sure about is whether my the quality of goodwill is present or absent. You know, that's a direct feeling, the direct experience. The rest of it is interpreted, as we all know. You know, interpreting other people is uh, certainly something that we do instinctively. How correct is it? Certainly, has some truth in it, but. A lot of it is just one's own angles and biases and attitudes. But the quality of whether the heart is open with goodwill is something you can know. It's a little bit. And you dwell in it and you linger in it and you feel the, the goodness of it and the happiness of it. Lingering it, it can get stronger. It can get bigger because I enjoy it. Whether you, whatever you are or aren't, Ah, I don't need to go there. <laughs> I do because this is something I do. I, could, I can't do something about that right now. What I can do something about is magnifying, purifying, validating, lingering, and strengthening this quality of goodwill. And the beauty of it is, is just even to bear to to place one's attention on it and savor it. It will grow by itself. And this is this is the marvelous thing about the mind. Mar- and also terrible because if you linger on ill will, that grows too. <laughs> Whatever your attention dwells upon, gets bigger. So the more you don't like something, the bigger it gets. <laughs> so the more you want to push it away, the bigger and stronger it gets <laughs> because you're lingering on your will but the more you linger on even this kind of not great just basically acceptance before we get into really strong goodwill just the sense of yeah I can accept that I don't have to get really you know, strongly averse to that I can bear with that that's nice settling in it begins to grow by itself because all these properties like intention it's not a fixed rigid thing it's it's an energy all all chitana, all volition is an energy it It pushes, it grabs, it rushes Uh, as an energy if you put awareness onto it the energy of awareness Amplifies that quality. You know, it's, it's a, these energetic media, and if they fuse together, then they, they amplify each other. This is the principle of samadhi. Essentially, if you linger and dwell upon what feels skillful and good, and is skillful and good, it will strengthen and become so strong, you don't even notice discord or the, or the diversities you linger on the singularity because that's what you've made 
your your principal focus. Mm. So these are ways in which we um, you know, we cultivate. And, um, of course, the experiences where we get the most sense of friction and and, and powerful inclinations is other people. Yeah. It's just the way we're designed as humans. We're mirrors. We're social creatures. So the the phenomena that most affect us for good or for bad uh, are other people. What we call other people magnified. So um, and that's goes both ways. Now I've, I've lived in communities for something like 40 years and the only way you can survive in a community is through cultivating goodwill. It more or less it forces it because trying to adjust every other fellow or woman in the room is a very busy procedure that uh, doesn't work. You know, trying to adjust everybody else so they sit right, turn up on time, don't say this, do say that, look like this and don't look like that, behave like this and don't behave like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, okay, I can try and ignore them. <laughs> but that doesn't quite work either, you know, because we just can't live in total solitude and certainly as Buddhist monks you can't you've got to live with in communities you've got to meet every at least once every two weeks in community gatherings you, you've got to cooperate work together and then the food is offered communally you have to live together and so you know this means eventually you just can't keep putting a blindfold over that one and shutting her out and not seeing him and earplugs him when he turns up <laughs> <laughs> or telling her what's wrong with her and getting him to be like this, you know. This is just this is too much work, you know. I came in for some peace of mind. All these people are driving me nuts. <laughs> no, they're not driving you nuts. It's your intentions that are driving you nuts. <laughs> they're just being themselves. So, mentioning acceptance. You know, focus on that. And then that's, that's the baseline. Non-resistance, non-aversion, soften, soften that razor-sharp attention which sees that nasty little thing he does every day mm. to annoy me deliberately. We <laughs> <laughs> only did it once, and now you're annoyed with him for an hour, and you've, now you've established that as his identity. He's a coffer. He comes in here to cough when I meditate. <laughs> he does it deliberately without restraint it's his duty is to cough to annoy me he knows he shouldn't he does it anyway coffer <laughs> and all the times he's not coughing I don't notice him there he is again he's coughing again. <laughs> so we think just soften a bit, soften, soften. It's only a phenomenon. It's not a person, it's a phenomenon, it's sound, isn't it? And we impute, he does it, he does it deliberately, he's doing it to me. No, if you look directly, it's a sound that one didn't wish for. If I could stop doing that, 
sound could do what sound does. And if I stop inferring a purpose deliberately, uh, or he always, so you link up the cough of yesterday with the cough of today, it's him again always. We don't do that because now it's not an always, it's just this. It's like you don't always drink, you just drink when you pick the glass up. You don't pick the glass up, you're not a drunkard. <laughs> so then you're attuned to the non-coughing. And the cough just pops up, passes. So you widen your span of awareness and you begin to eliminate the pieces you can eliminate. Now the sound isn't something you can necessarily eliminate. You could eliminate the deliberate. Maybe you couldn't help it. People don't cough because they enjoy it. <laughs> they don't say, ah, he comes, I'm going to cough at him. So let's just, maybe he did, but I don't know that. So let's just eliminate deliberate. That's just an inference. Deliberate doing it to me. Because the sound just pops into awareness. It's not aimed at me. Let's deliberate, eliminate that. This is eliminate a person, because actually what happens is the sound enters my hearing. The, the sound itself is not a person. So just reduce that. And then, so we begin to sort of, yeah, that makes it a lot easier. Now, the really tricky thing is, who is listening? Who is hearing? Hearing is hearing. Does hearing mind? No, hearing just hears. Its nature is to hear. What? 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 Where's the? Where's the? I am. It gets annoyed by it. It's a mind, mental phenomenon. It's a mind, mental condition. Because that mental condition, which takes a stand upon deciding what should be heard and not be heard, could that mental condition, which takes a position about what it wants to hear and what it doesn't want to hear, that mental condition, which has an angle, an attitude towards the senses that say the senses should give me this and not give me that, could that mental condition, could that be relaxed? Because the way the consciousness operates, you have the five external senses, sight, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling, so on. We have an internal, what we call internal, which is the mind base. And the mind says, there's a sound, that's a good sound. No, it's not a good sound, it's a sound sound. The ears don't make it good. It's the mind says, it's a good sound, that's a violin. That's a good sound. A violin at two o'clock in the morning is not a good sound. <laughs> How did that happen? The sound did exactly the same thing. But when I want to go to sleep, it's a bad sound. So the sound was just doing what sounds do. So that was the problem was my mind or the mind having its relationship to the senses of controlling, saying the senses will give me this, they will not give me that. 
and this I will find agreeable. But its ability to find things agreeable itself is not permanent. The violin at two in the afternoon, on a sunny day, rather pleasant. The violin at two o'clock in the morning, not pleasant. What happened? My disposition, the disposition of the mind changed. What is the disposition of the mind were just open, peaceful, senses do what senses do, sound comes, silence comes. Sometimes the silence is lovely, sometimes it's boring. I wish I could get some action here. What happened? The mental disposition. Could that? Sometimes it can. But uh, in that, in doing that, one of the big features that have to, big, well, one of the features that occurs, as, as, as I've maybe already over-cultivate, I took the self out of the coffer. It wasn't a person coughing, it was a sound. I take the self out of the, the hearer, and there's no problem. This is not easy because the, the intentions are so established by nature, really, you know. Uh, unpleasant contact could be dangerous so we really want to move away from it unpleasant taste could be poisonous so I really want to move away from it that's understood that's is the uh, this is what the structure of consciousness is about but then when we can come to say you know uh, the the particular domain of mind training we think, okay, we've got the boundary of the precepts and non-violence, we've got the boundary of safety and so forth. Actually, what arises within this, it's not going to kill me. It's going to disappoint me, but it won't kill me. So, you know, we're putting, making a reasonable frame to dwell within. Because we've said, you know, in, in doing cultivation, you said, well, for this time, or this occasion, or this training I'm doing, I'm saying, actually, the objects are not, what I'm trying to work on is, is the relationship. And if a relationship becomes amplified, where the intention doesn't recoil, doesn't grab, doesn't fight, doesn't proliferate, into he should be this, he's never that. Why does he always like that? Who could have? Why? How? When am I ever going to be like that? Why am I like this? This proliferation. It doesn't do that. Right? Then we're able to realize there's a certain quality of intention in this relationship. It begins to arise, strengthen, become rich. Feeling, feeling's pretty good now. Very steady and stable. This feels good. Yeah. 
I don't have to know who it is. Why bother? It's just this. The, the movement is towards qualities, qualities of intention, hmm? rather than selves. And phenomena, qualities of intentionality. And they, they expand. They can expand. They can expand intention. What do I mean by that? I mean, you can take an intention of goodwill, linger in it, and just make it last longer. Right? That's the first thing you can sustain it. And clearly, this is something that mindfulness will do. If you, mindfulness puts a boundary around a phenomenon, so it's just lingering this. Now, if you linger in the quality of intention, that will, that will expand by itself. That's its nature. <laughs> because it's got a dynamic that's fruitful, like and it's like a plant, it's got juice and it's going to grow. And linger in the quality of goodwill, even if it's only minimal, it'll strengthen and strengthen and amplify. And you can feel it rising in your heart. So you linger in terms of time by staying in it. And then, of course, we have to meet then when it can do that when it can do that then it becomes you start to get a sense of confidence that this is able then possibly to meet feeling the quality of feeling arises from sense contact disagreeable feeling instead of disagreeable feeling the mind shutting down and retracting the mind sustains not going to let your will take over uh, sustaining that, and in that sustaining of uh, refusing to go into the reaction of ill will, the intention is sustained, the feeling passes through. The irritation, the irritating phenomenon, instead of irritating, it touches the edge of the mind, the mind is about to get agitated, instead, it sustains the sense of goodwill. Refusal to pick up irritation. The feeling arises, touches, passes, moves through, resonates, dissolves. The cloud expands, the birds fly through. This is possible. Trying to be a cloud that doesn't let birds fly through it is a big disappointment. <laughs> Can't come in here. <laughs> I'm a cloud, I don't like birds. <laughs> Sorry. But you can <laughs> pass through. So yes, the, the first thing is resisting the push of feeling. And feeling is first of all the degree of pleasure and pain. There's also an aspect of feeling which we call really the felt meaning. That's not right. That's not right. That's horrible. I don't mind. It's, it's ugly. It's horrible. We, we attribute, we, we designate things. And you get really wound up with that too. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right. It shouldn't be that way. This, then this touches the mind. The mind goes, mm-hmm, contracts and agitates. 
uh, plenty of that because there's a lot of these unfair inappropriate shouldn't be this way phenomena in the human world I'm not letting that cause my mind to break up and shatter into discord and agitated uh, you know disagreeable qualities sustaining the felt meaning of unfair or inappropriate this is arises and if it's about the way he is being unfair inappropriate unbalanced poor guy must be difficult being like that (laughs) change right your intention it expands rather than contracts and you suddenly see you know or review you know the unbalanced which everyone is unbalanced <laughs> to some degree. Well, everyone, but in a sense of, mm, yeah, we all get like that at times. And these ideas, fair and true and right, where, where you know, those are those are attractive ideas. But oh, what's fair? Where, where's that? I mean, is it when we tread on grass? Is that fair to the grass? <laughs> How come he's six foot and I'm only five foot nine? Is that fair? He ate more food than I did, but maybe he needed more. You know, you start to review some of these notions, which. Have a have a yeah. They're a degree of uh, they're useful, provided you don't take them as ultimate fixed things. I'd like to behave in a way in which I'm aware of your needs and respond to it. I don't want to be selfish pig, <laughs> but I can't. You know, I can't be perfect. I can't be your idea, but I can try to respect and share as best I can. You know, and not to claim more of your attention or your the, or whatever. Ever since we're in this together, mutual. Mm-hmm. That's as, that's about as good as I can get. Give me some signals. You know, we're prepared to learn. Then we feel okay. That's okay. I can deal with that. This seems is as fair as it's going to get. <laughs> it means we're prepared to listen and op- operate and try to form a reasonable relationship of give and take with each other. And be tolerant and generous and forgiving, and you know, I'll do that to you. And could you ask you to do that to me? And so on. So it's pretty a fair deal, really. That means we have to sense in which we're prepared to to recognise. You know, it's going to be my idea of perfect. So those disagreeable meanings. He's forgetful. He's lazy. He's sloppy. He's messy. It's. It's his issue, isn't it, really? My issue is to not let my mind go into that. Because I feel so unpleasant with that. I'm constantly finger-wagging at everybody. There's a lot of people around a finger-wagger. There's over 7 billion of them. That's a lot of wagging. (laughs) Wouldn't it be easy just to, every day, get up and say, I forgive you all, please forgive me. 
that you start out with that big because I'm going to put my foot in it sooner or later that's for sure <laughs> yeah. and what this is doing is a seemingly you know mysterious thing of, of you know releasing self of, of the so the the removal of the characteristic of self it's really self is a characteristic not actually an entity <laughs> it's a characteristic which is built up with acquisition with resistance I resist that with uh, gratification I want that it's mine so these strategies build up a certain energetic form of behaviors that you know that act as the kernel the, the core around which the memories and the behaviours start to coalesce. Now if those, you're not trying to destroy memories, yeah, or destroy behaviour, but by releasing some of these underlying qualities, the behaviours change by themselves. What we notice changes. Yeah. What memories arise are much more, less haunted, because the, the, the fault-finding self has disappeared. The guilty self has disappeared. The owned all those actions has disappeared. Yeah. And therefore these phenomena just arise and pass. And if there's no search for them, they don't have to arise at all. And this is the, really the transformation of consciousness. Because the consciousness, instead of operating on this with this big dividing line stuck in the middle of it called me, you, this, that, (laughs) here, there, you know, subject, object. That dividing line becomes, starts to be, there's a possibility of that dividing line being rubbed out or no longer being etched in. Because actually, here, everything's here, isn't it? There's nothing there. Plenty of it in reality. Phenomena, sight, sound, memory, thought arise. They don't arise to anybody, they just arise. As they arise, consciousness says, Oh, that's me remembering you. Well, that's secondary to the arising phenomena. That's me seeing you. But the first thing that occurred was seeing, and then me, you comes into it. As, as the object gets defined, that's the action of consciousness to divide. If that action is seen as problematic, because then I'm going to start liking and disliking, wanting and resisting, feeling embarrassed and awkward, and all that. If that divide, if that if that production is seen as uh, fallible, inadequate, it's unsatisfactory. I start to stop doing it. It's just this. And like and this is of course the biggest addiction that we have. We may have quit alcohol, cigarettes and so forth. We're still very much addicted to consciousness, <laughs> to this dividing process. And so like any other addiction, just go no. <laughs> You know, what's that? It's actually happening. Tell the truth. 
sign is happening and then perceiving recognizing naming liking disliking concern worry opinions and views should be shouldn't be why is he why isn't she what about that where did he come from what about that where did what well, it's a lot just cascading from that from that division process. What it was just was this. The meeting, expanding, magnifying, expanding the relational intent to one of non-aversion, non-attribution, non-inference. This is the, through the expansion is the cessation of suffering and stress. Yeah, if you look at this in very, you know, again, very humble ways, you know, we might be afflicted with pain, as, as all of us are from time to time. Uh, stabbing pain, just feeling a bit rubbished, kind of groggy, messy, ugh. You know, physical dukkha. And you just try to get away from it. Stretch, push. Get out of my life. Get away. <laughs> and this is natural because this could be a sign that something is going to kill you. It's not as if it's that uh, stupid. But then you begin to recognize, well, wait a minute, that, that pain in my shoulder isn't going to kill me. Well, it might do, but... That's an, that's an inference, that's taking it a bit much. When I start to relate to it, instead of, how can I get this out? Go away. So, let's change it around to there's that. Expanding your awareness within that phenomenon, over that phenomenon, the heart of acceptance. Goodwill, and then as the quality, the expansion of the intention allows the expansion of attention, we begin to refer to how this the shoulder connects to the chest and the back and the abdomen and the hips and the legs and the feet and the jaw and the face and the forehead and the fingers and the space around. And the intensity of it begins to lessen. Just through that sheer act of expanding attention, soft changing intention. And one of the really lovely things that can occur with this, it doesn't always occur, is that once you do when you do that, the residual tension in the body, which we hardly notice, begins to relax. And energy shifts in the body and oh, the shoulder sudden there's a release coming into that shoulder. Because I'm no longer trying to cure it. Energy drains. And certainly, this is something that can be practiced with in terms of physical pain, because we all have that. We have a lifetime of it. So, since it cannot really finally be avoided, there's the possibility of turning towards it and using it to purify our intentions, our attention, and our release.
So let's take some time for direct practice.